Ever since I left, I've been haunted by the past. No, that's wrong. It's more like the past is haunted. My memories are filled with ghosts. My neighbor was a helicopter pilot, and one time I asked him to fly me over the sand pit where hundreds of ghosts lived. One of them was the ghost of a giant. At the signal, time will be out of joint. Welcome to Weird Signal, a podcast about all things weird, eerie, and hauntological. I'm Lucy, and I'm here with the filmmaker Jonathan Kennedy. Hi, how's it going? This is the first of what we intend to be a recurring part of this podcast, uh, in which we plan to speak to working artists and theorists to explore how and where those three core tenets of this show make themselves manifest in contemporary art and culture. Jonathan Kennedy is a filmmaker working in St. John's, Canada, Newfoundland, and his most recent film, Haunted, was the recipient of the Newfoundland Arts and Letters Award. And um, I wanted to talk about uh, that in a that film in a little more detail in a moment. But first, I wanted to just generally discuss uh, how uh, you would define your work and what you do as a filmmaker. Yeah, I mainly work in sort of a surrealist tradition, I guess. Um, it's, it's really uh, evident in Haunted, especially how, you know the way the past manifests itself uh, in sort of haunting ways. Um, for that film in particular, I, um, I had been thinking a lot about the way, you know, memories are kind of ghosts. So I, you know, went went with uh went in a sort of direction where i used dreams and memories that i kind of that are very hazy from my childhood um and structured that into a sort of overarching um a sort of overarching thematic of those those memories and those dreams being ghosts uh in my life um the I, I used found footage and kind of collages that I made. Uh, the footage, uh, the eight millimeter footage, and it is from a flood that happened in my hometown of Bishop's Falls uh, two years before I was born, actually. And um, it kind of a lot of my dreams about my past and like back home have been really apocalyptic. Um, cool. It was like I would have dreams just about like meteorites smashing into the ground and like there was one really vivid dream where I could feel the air temperatures like suddenly rise and stuff so I kind of wanted to you know incorporate that disaster element I guess and then uh, the collages are made from photos that I just found in the U.S. National Archive and just turned into kind of collages that fit the narration I wrote the narration first excuse me um and then sort of pieced it together that way, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, and then in, in my other work, uh, which is a little more traditional, I've kind of tried to explore similar themes. Um, the other two films that you saw, um, She Looks Familiar and um, Morning Comes are uh, she looks familiar. It was based on a dream that I had, where I could, yeah, there was this 
strange light and a mysterious person in my living room and you know I, I didn't want to confront it in the dream um, so I kind of built built that story around that dream and um, kind of borrowed some elements from uh, Louise Bunuel's uh, The Exterminating Angel uh, to kind of tie it together and that's more uh, I guess that film was more an exploration of my uh, my struggles with anxiety, I guess. Um, and morning comes. Um, I was actually reading Mark Fisher's uh, Ghosts of My Past. I guess the I title. <laughs> and I was like really taken by you know the whole idea of hauntology, and like I, I had a vague familiarity with it reading Derrida like briefly before but I hadn't really explored what it was uh, so that that Fisher book really kind of influenced where I decided to go um, exploring the uh, you know the way both the uh, the use of the TV static and the tape recorder to kind of channel spirits and uh, the use of the 8 millimeter footage is kind of, you know, a hauntological aesthetic as well. Yeah, because I found um, one of the things that I found most striking about... Uh, is it mor- morning, morning Comes is the one with the, with the, with the static. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> checking my notes. Yeah. But yeah, one of the things I found most striking about Morning Comes is the way it kind of centers technology um, as a kind of narrative driving force in that film. And it's... It's it's there in the foreground. It's kind of driving the plot, but then it's it's never it never really kind of comes to try and explain what what is actually happening and the extent of the kind of reality of what is happening. But um, but then it just then the, the the key moment it leads up to is is going out onto the hill, and then the hill is the bit from the memory. But then it's it kind of then you see kind of in the distance there's the radio tower as well. And yeah, that kind of ties it together. But yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about um, Mark Fisher in his book. Well, uh, it's come. I think it comes up in the Weird and the Eerie as well. But it's uh, in a lot, it's kind of one of the central themes in Ghosts of My Life. The the idea of um, recording and memory, and the idea of kind of imperfect memory. Uh, that was, this is going back to the Stone Tape episode when we were talking about um, the kind of corruptibility of tape. But um, was that something that was uh, kind of a, a, a conscious presence in making uh, Haunted? Because that's, again, that's kind of archive footage and that's, um, that's well, using kind of library archive footage. Uh, it's, I guess kind of what I found interesting about that is the way it's, it's using that to... Um, to articulate ideas from dreams and kind of finding a meeting point in the middle between uh, between kind of cerebral things generated from dreams, which are imperfect memories, and then uh, finding a middle ground between that and the imperfect memories of uh, deteriorating uh, video media. It, that was never... Um, it was never... A conscious decision on my part um, you know it just kind of I don't know it just felt like 
the the natural way to approach the uh, the bit I had written because I wrote the narration for it before I even decided how I was going to make it and um, I had I, I had thought about doing things with collage um, previously because I when I kind of first started um, experimenting with surrealism as kind of a the main formal uh, approach to my work. I I did a lot of this was you know, in my in my late teens. I guess I started doing kind of like digital uh, photo montages and collages. Um, weirdly, one of them I, I was really back then influenced by Storm Thorgerson because I was super into the Mars Volta, embarrassingly enough, at the time. Um, and um, I did a, I did a few of those, and one of them, when Storm Thorgerson died, some person did a, a blog post kind of collecting his, his work, and somehow one of my collages made it into that post. Um, but I always really enjoyed, I always really enjoyed making, making those collages and wanted to kind of bridge you know my interest in the in that kind of work with my filmmaking and uh i came across uh, work by kelly sears who kind of did what i had envisioned doing with my collages um with her work um the drift and um once it started it could not be once it started, it could not end. Otherwise, I think is the title. Um, both really, really interesting shorts uh, made of you know, made out of collage. Um, far more sophisticated than what I did with the collages in uh, in Haunted, but it was kind of an attempt to bridge those two interests that I've had. That's not the one um, I'm thinking of. I think I saw a film that made use of collage many, many years ago. Um, it I can't, I can't remember if there was actually a narration in it, but the the filmmaker actually etched onto the film itself uh, these these words, and then kind of it was kind of more or less just a kind of stream of consciousness. But right. um, but yeah, that was wasn't it? that might be another one to kind of pick up at another. Oh, yeah, that was that was the other thing actually. Um, I was interested in because uh, I, I went through your your Vimeo collection. Uh, one of the other <laughs> things you did, you've worked a lot in music videos. Uh, yeah. I was quite I was quite by the there's the one um, it's Coach Longlegs, uh, Ride Again with the incredibly um, <laughs> incredibly weird public information film about cycling safety. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that um, the the music video stuff that I've done has mainly just been you know for friends bands and stuff. Uh, that that Coach Longlegs video in particular <laughs> uh, was kind of came out of. I mean, the, the song itself is about you know cyclists taking back the street, um, but it's also um, I, I filmed it. The the parts that I filmed were. Um, 
a protest uh, here in St. John's. Um, we have really horrendous sidewalk cleaning in the winter here. Like oftentimes there's no sidewalk to walk on at all and really dangerous. You know, it's um, miraculous that there haven't been more injuries or any fatalities. Um, so the, I kind of combined, you know, the, the, uh, the bicycle theme with, you know, the taking back the streets in that other context as well. <laughs> And kind of just, you know, combine that with the sound clip and the video clips from the movie Rad, which is a ridiculous BMX movie that, you know, anyone who's really, who's interested in bad movies should watch that because it's incredible. Oh man, I think, I think I've seen bits of it. Like, well, po- I think, like, possibly down the back of YouTube one evening, I came across it. Like, there was another film, actually, I think, I saw, is it called, like, have you come across one, a film called, like, Skate, a Shredder Orpheus? I just reminded of it, I came across, I'm, this may not be true in the interview, but um, it seems to be in that kind of weird BMX uh, skate-themed kind of punk film thing, but it's a retelling <laughs> of Orpheus and Eurydice. That, actually, oh, no, I'm just going to make I... that a future episode of the podcast. I, I don't know that one, but that sounds incredible. Um, but in, in the same vein, one of my absolute favorite, you know, terrible movies is um, this one from the 80s called Thrashin', which stars cool. James Brolin. Um, has a really incredible soundtrack. It's cheesy as hell, but it's so fun. Uh, it also stars... Um, the woman who played Teresa Palmer in Twin Peaks Firewalk with me and Sherilyn uh, 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 Fenn as well, actually. Oh, wow. There's a really, really bizarre Twin Peaks connection there, which is great. Thrashin', it's not a kid's game anymore. So, as well as being a filmmaker, you also are a communist, uh, which I which I bring up because I think it's I think it's a fairly uncontroversial thing to say that we're seeing a very, very interesting moment in filmmaking and it's one that's being driven by a generation that more or less grew up at uh, what Fukuyama described as the end of history. And so I kind of wanted to just generally ask how you see uh, being a communist and a filmmaker at the moment. Yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, it, it's astounding to me honestly that more artists aren't just outright communists um you know aside from you know people like who who are you know in the in the capital a art scene that sell or work for you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever um you know but anyone especially you know my age or younger i'm kind of on the older end of the the millennial generation i guess um you know, every, everyone I know who's working in the arts is struggling financially. So, you know, it's it's bizarre to me that there's not, you know, more calls for, you know, for for artistic ownership of the means of production. I guess, um, yeah, as as a filmmaker, especially, you know, it's filmmaking is expensive as hell. Um, so it's you know trying to work especially 
when you're making the kind of weird shit that I'm making, it um, you know it's it's tricky to get get funding. Um, so you often I, mean, I have to rely you know on friends helping me out and doing favors for other people and getting favors in return. But it also um, it it also comes into kind of how I view. You know, you mentioned the the whole end of history uh, thesis. I, I kind of view my interest in, you know, uh, kind of hauntological notions as kind of the, you know, dialectical view of history where, you know, the past and the, the present are inextricably connected and one form, one shapes the other. Um, Right now I'm working on, um, hoping to shoot it either this week or next week, actually, um, a new short film that uh, draws on Paolo Virno's book, Deja Vu and the End of History, um, where it's kind of, uh, I kind of take a dystopian idea and implant some kind of utopian ideas in there but it's a way of really thinking about kind of the past and thinking through the relationship with how um, kind of how the you know current state of things you know is inflected with those aspects of the past. Um, there's a it was a sort of almost a listicle, I guess, that uh, Jean-Luc Godard did for After Image magazine in 1970, I think it was. And it's kind of, it's called What is to be Done. And uh, the first two theses there are, one, we must make political films, and two, we must make films politically. And then the rest kind of goes through, you know, the, the dialectic, the antagonisms of those two ideas and uh, it's kind of two of the points in there, you know, to carry out number one is to understand the law of the objective world in order to explain the, uh, explain the world. And uh, 17 is to carry out number two is to understand the law of the objective world in order to actively transform the world. So I think, uh, you know, in, you know, writing and directing a film, I, I'm kind of, you know, as a, as a communist trying to think through, uh, you know, the problems of, of our current situation in, in some ways, um, and then finding a way to really, um, finding ways to use art to kind of rally people to other more direct, you know, material forms of action, I guess. Um, I haven't seen Sorry to Bother You yet, but it's really interesting how Boots Riley seems to be trying to do that with that film and uh, the way he's kind of promoting it. Um, you know, you listen to his interviews, even on like, on, you know, more progressive media and less progressive media. Um, you know, he had, he was on Democracy Now, and he, you know, Amy Goodman was kind of tiptoeing around using the word communist to describe him. He's like, I'm communist. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So it's, it's really cool to see kind of... It, it seems like there is more... Um, more of that kind of thing coming coming out, um, which is really cool. Um, you know, I'm still trying to figure out how to do that with my own work. Um, hopefully I come close to succeeding with this next short that I'm, I'm doing, um, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'd be excited to see it. So do you, do you plan to kind of move into kind of more long form pieces i know this is kind of a, a question <laughs> that probably depends more on funding um <laughs> funding and actual uh, cinematic or filmmaking practicalities but in term i was thinking mainly more in terms of um the, well the films that you've made uh being being in the kind of in the in the sphere of the weird and the sphere of the hauntological um there's in a lot of ways the the short film format lends itself quite well to that because it it can it can give a kind of a, a sort of a complex message in a in a in a in not in a simple way but in a way that kind of um, leaves a reasonable amount of, of sort of necessary ambiguity. Um, right. But as I mentioned earlier, there is very interesting things happening in film at the moment. There's this there's this idea there's this idea that kind of people are talking about the 2010s Renaissance. And there's also the term post-horror being put around a lot, which um, is under a certain amount of dispute, uh, because, simply because like kind of post-horror implies that horror wasn't always good or it's done something better than <laughs> horror. Um, or the, for there to have been a renaissance, um, there needs to have been a death of horror at some point, um, which is pretty much how like people talk about the original Renaissance because like, there, are many, <laughs> you know, there are so many kind of classical carryovers into the Middle Ages, but that's for another episode. Um, but in terms of kind of um, artistically, uh, do you see um, do you see kind of a climate emerging for um, perhaps if not more mainstream, uh, just kind of larger scale? Uh, variations on on the kind of themes that you cover um i mean i really hope so <laughs> um uh I, I mean right now i'm working on two feature-length scripts so you know I, I definitely have the aspiration to find a way to um to do do to explore i guess those you know those kind of themes more long term uh, or even more long-form kind of works um, with, uh, I mean, what you mentioned with uh, the, the 2010s, you know, the post-horror post renaissance. Uh, you know, some of my favorite films of the past few years have definitely fit into that, um, you know, that sort of categorization. Um, you know, I really enjoyed you know, The Witch and Under the Skin are probably the two Two, two of my favorite films of the past, you know, five or ten years. Um, I mean, Showcase just, I mean, he can't, He comes with, you know, a considerable amount of clout, but, you know, they just gave David Lynch 18 hours to do all kinds of weird shit with the new Twin Peaks season. So, uh, you know, there, there's, there seems to be, uh, which, which I consider, you know, the, the new Twin Peaks is honestly... I consider it to be one of the greatest cinematic achievements of the past 10 years, you know, 
without oh, being too without being too hyperbolic about it. Um, just incredible. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think there is a kind of there seems to be if not a you know a broader market a sort of niche market that's kind of and i hate talking about it in terms of markets but uh you know capitalism's a totalizing ideology so it's hard to escape um it's kind of i there seems to be a place for that opening up uh which i think is really cool um yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, because also kind of one of, I guess, kind of drawing back to the ontology thing, which is again something we plan to cover in a future episode. That become that's just going to become like kind of the more or less the mantra of every episode of which <laughs> this idea that oh we'll do a roundtable, it'll be fine. We can't cover this all now, but the fact that kind of um, we see well ontology as in terms of kind of like the pop cultural definition of ontology or kind of where it intersects with pop culture rather than the more kind of uh, defi- uh, closely defined political description that originated with Derrida. Um, that's something that more or less coincided with um, with kind of the 2010s horror scene sphere. Um, but it's kind of when, when we also started seeing films that films that were set and or done in the style of things from the past. So, you know, obviously, the obvious example being um, being uh, The Stranger Things is probably the most popular. But before that, there was <laughs> right. also... It, it Follows had elements of that. And then there was also Beyond the Black Rainbow, uh, which is like... Which, yeah. Yeah, which is, which is a, a, another thing we're going to cover. But um, that, was, that was more kind of 19... 1960s 70s aesthetic but that was effectively exactly one third of stranger things um, <laughs> but it's it's interesting how that's that's emerging um in that it's the the historic well kind of historical revival films but they're not necessarily nostalgia films they're um there's something more progressive in them rather than just being something that's a pastiche um which yeah that's that's kind of what a lot of the the current horror sphere seems to be well that's what resonates with me anyway but uh, people are engaging it engaging with it on a more kind of critical level um but yeah that's interesting sorry i i realize kind of a lot of my prep has pretty much resulted in me turning into that person at a conference who <laughs> asks a question that's not really a question <laughs> but um but i've I'm, I think I'm getting better at it. So, I was also just going to talk about like you. Know, um, you are from Canada, and Canada is yes. kind of it's a sphere of particular interest to this podcast. Just not just because of the legacy of David Cronenberg, but <laughs> the fact that it's sort of it has this legacy of um, it has this legacy of kind of being. I don't want to say the grim north, but it's sort of, in some ways, the haunted north. Uh, I was, I mean, I was actually reading um, recently. Have you ever come across Margaret Atwood's Strange Things? Um, it was kind of a series of lectures she did where she talks about um, kind of Canada and um, Canada and how it has its like, kind of own homegrown, homegrown, um, homegrown Gothic tradition, and talks about kind of the Wendigo 
and the and the spectre of the Franklin expedition and stuff. But um, this is probably kind of more of an open ended question. But like, did do you find there's something? Well, working as a filmmaker in Canada, do you uh, dealing with uh, d- if not darker but more speculative themes? Do you find there's a distinctive character to that or something you see or you recognize around that um i think um i mean it's hard canada is such a a diverse like a weirdly diverse country um you know it's a really big country that's just divided up into you know 11 provinces or whatever it is i'm really embarrassingly outing myself as terrible at geography right now. Um, uh, I can't remember if it's 10 or 11 provinces and three territories. Um, but uh, the province that I'm from, Newfoundland, is uh, it, ha- it has its own unique kind of, uh, kind of folklore traditions around, you know, really, really closely related, I guess, to um, a lot of Irish and English um, folklore about you know fairies and things like that um so i i I see a lot of um i i see kind of those kind of things pushing their way not necessarily into my own work but in you know some of my peers work um the um yeah there's just a there's a vastness to, I guess, Canada. Uh, it's just a really sparsely populated, you know, there's so many just endless expanses of, you know, woodland and stuff that it kind of lends itself to a certain eeriness, I guess. Um, you know, I just spent the week uh, on the other side of the province in uh, Grosmore National Park. And, you know, the drive there was, you know, close to a 10 hour drive and I only went through like three towns probably four or five maybe four or five towns on the way there and uh, you know it was just massive expanses of empty space basically um, which really kind of which really fed into not not the specific trip but uh, kind of that emptiness kind of feeds into that film that I'm going to be making this week or next week, whenever, whenever that actually happens. Um, you know, just the, the ability to just wander in the woods and, you know, um, there's that quote that I remember you guys mentioning in the Blair Witch episode about how, um, you know, you can't get lost in America, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, you can get lost in Canada. <laughs> um, um, it's, uh, yeah, it just really lends itself, I think, uh, you know, especially, you know, the winters are pretty harsh um, you know, and long. They're you know, we get about two months of summer and then ten months of winter, basically. <laughs> um, so I, I think all of that kind of lends itself to a sort of bleakness. Um, 
I mean, if you watch a lot of mainstream Canadian media, we kind of try do our best to counteract that. Um, you know, um, most, you know, CBC or showcase programs are, you know, ridiculous sitcoms about, you know, the Trailer Park Boys is probably the most popular example of that, where it's just, you know, just ridiculousness. Um, but, you know, there, there are a lot of shows that kind of deal in really lighthearted, you know, they don't generally plunge the depths of the Canadian experience, I would say. Cool. It's like, it's like the whole idea of like, I'm actually trying to remember what the quote was and the long where I heard it, but like kind of the idea of kind of Nordic humor being, um, <laughs> having a sort of almost bunker mentality to it. It's got, it's got this lightheartedness to spite the, the, the vast coldness beyond. Yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, I, that actually reminds me because you mentioned, um, one of your, um, well, one of your favorite filmmakers was, um, Abbas, uh, I hope I've got this right, Abbas Kairistami, who uh, I was reminded of that simply because like he um, he worked, well, one of his kind of distinctive defining features is that he dealt a lot with um, landscape and ideas of journey across, across uh, kind of, across, uh, well, a lot of them are set in the deserts of Iran, which is, of course, like another, another great wilderness, another kind of sparseness that's not necessarily scenic, but is invested with um, invested with a character that he lends it. Um, his, his, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, you mentioned that you were a fan of his. So, do you find that he was kind of an influence in some of your filmmaking, or or do you intend to kind of make uh, employ a kind of influence from him? His influence is um, kind of direct and indirect in a way. Um, uh, indirect in that um, certain thing, certain aspects of the way he works um, have really influenced me. I, I really came to his work through Certified Copy, which kind of takes this, you know, romance film concept and kind of turns it completely, I don't even know how to describe what it does with, with the concept, but it really subverts that kind of, uh, that kind the, the genre element, um, and explores these two vastly different relationships between the two main characters. Um, you know, and as you're watching the film, things are shifting kind of imperceptibly in the relationship and it's, um, and you know, you're not sure what what the truth of their relationship is, and it kind of um, brings attention into your understanding of the film, I guess. Um, and I, can, I I really like trying to approach you know ambiguity in that way, uh, you know, and tensions between you know the uh, I guess tensions between two very opposite ideas within the one relationship, uh, whether that's you know a relationship between people or you know the relationship between a character and an event or whatever. Um, but more directly, um, I was actually 
part of a two-week intensive workshop that he did in Cuba uh, at the film school that was co-founded by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who is also a pretty big influence on my work, um, cool. which was fucking wild. <laughs> um, there were like, I think, 500 applicants and 50, 51 of us were selected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, e- so even getting selected for that, I when I applied, I had no, like, I just applied. I saw a, an article on IndieWire, I think it was, and it's like, oh, it doesn't cost anything. You know, I'll do up an application, send it in. I totally don't expect to hear back at all, you know, have any any luck with this, but, you know, it's a thing to do. And I ended up being selected uh, and had to come by $5,000 really quick so I could go down there. <laughs> um <laughs> But it was uh, it was interesting, uh, a really interesting experience. Um, he, uh, I think, the thing he uh, kind of said in his keynote, um, you know, at the start of it was, you know, he's not there to teach us, you know, the basics of filmmaking or whatever. He's there to guide us through how we find a story and how we, you know. Uh, how we relate to our story and kind of nurture a means of using your environment to you know realize what's important to you about the story you want to tell so um, it was yeah it was a really surreal experiences you know and it was kind of coming back to uh you know the the conversation about communism and filmmaking we were basically you know the 50 of us were basically a filmmaking commune at that uh you know during those two weeks um you know we all we just brought our own equipment kind of pooled our resources together um you know offered you know our whatever our strong points were to help out you know all the other you know i ended up in addition to the film that i directed while i was there um you know i ended up dping a short film for um, a pakistani um filmmaker here i think she's pakistani i'm really sorry here if you hear this and <laughs> i'm misremembering where you're from um uh i ended up dping her film el retorno uh which is kind of uh It, it, it was kind of a dystopian um, film about this uh, person who gets released from Guantanamo Bay and he's in a cab driving around Cuba and discovering how fucked up the world has gotten since he was in Guantanamo. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it really kind of influenced the way that I approach both story and, um, you know, my methodology, you know, the way I make my films. Because um, I think I'm right in thinking that Karasami, he was, 
um, I was uh, looking a bit into him um, when when researching when prepping for this, but uh, he kind of uh, reminded. Well, his similar to Nick Rogue, who we covered kind of in our second episode on Don't Look Now, in that he was primary. Well, like he he started his career as a cinematographer before kind of taking the helm as a director, and it kind of, from what I can gather, it kind of shows in his work because it it's operating through a lot of predominantly visual language yeah the a really striking thing about kurostami's films is just the 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 visual language of it is you know more poetic i guess than uh than anything else it's um you know i feel like um there are a lot of similarities with uh tarkovsky as well there um, just the way they use the landscape and you know just these simple images to convey um not necessarily you know universal truths or whatever but you know c- convey the the truth of the of the film so um thanks for coming on the show and being more or less the test subject in our um <laughs> experimental interview format um, so we hope to do more of these. I've got, um, I think Sean's going to be talking to, uh, someone very shortly. Uh, so more, we'll be tweeting out more information on that, uh, nearer to the time. And, um, yeah, so, and we're also hoping to have you back on the show at some point, uh, for one of our, uh, for one of our film discussions. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. yeah so, so, um, so we'll be kind of, um, obviously sending out more in- information about that at the time. But, um, but again, thanks for, well, but in the meantime, thank you for coming on the show and, um, without any further ado, uh, stay weird and stay signal. We've not come up with a better outro than that. And I don't think we're going to. <laughs> so. I, I, I love that outro. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, um, Sean's friend Bobsy from the Diane podcast, uh, suggested Great it, podcast. And... I love that podcast. <laughs> oh man. It's, it's really good. Um. We're also going to have uh, Adam from that on at some point very soon. Um, we keep failing to schedule it, but um, but yeah. So, um, but yeah. Till then, um, thanks thanks for listening. Um, I've been Lucy, and and you've been Jonathan Kennedy. His name is Crew. Hey, good looking. BMX is his world. Rad is his way of life. Hey, 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 let's go! We got the control!
He's got the style. There's something about the way he rides so naturally. And he's going to prove it. Yeah, yeah. He's going for it all. 